It's time to watch your favorite TV program. Hit record on your VHS player. Tune in your NES and join Alan Price and Chris Vint with their views as we deploy Operation RetroShock. And hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the second episode of Operation Retroshock. I'm one of your hosts, Alan Price. And I'm and, one. Uh, oh, I did it again. I put it in on you, Alan. I'm terribly sorry about me. <laughs> see, if, see if you keep if you keep doing that, this is not going to go very far. Uh, you see, I'm not used to it with me being, you know, the sole um, host of Master Universe Chronicles, which you can find on iTunes as well as Operation Retroshock. Mr. Plug, aren't you? Yes, I am indeed. But we have a little guest, Alan, who um, you would like to introduce. I will indeed. Um, we have a very good friend of ours has joined us today for um, one of our discussions we're going to take part. His name is Lawrence Case, and he is the lead singer of a very good band called Voodoo Vegas. Hello, Lawrence. Hello, guys. How are you doing? Not bad. Yeah, I'm doing fine, thanks as well. Uh, Alan just doesn't know how he's feeling at the minute because he's never talked <laughs> to a rock and roll star before, you know. Oh, he's alright when we met a few weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the reason why Lawrence is on the show, ladies and gentlemen, is because he's a huge Ghostbusters fan. Um, also has a little involvement in another area that we're going to cover, but more on that later on. Um, but it's pretty safe to say that Ghostbusters, Lawrence, would be uh, one of your favourite films, if not of all time. It is my favourite favourite film of all time. I don't, I don't know. I know other film compares to me. Just Ghostbusters is amazing. Fond memories from when I was a kiddie. Okay, well, we'll go for that one first of all with the first question, which we can all um, put our thoughts and uh, let the listeners know what uh, we thought of the film. Over to you, Alan. No problem. This Lawrence, you may as well take away, considering you're the big fan. What is your key thing you remember for, about the film back in the day? I, I think it was more like when I was a kid, it was just everyone watched it and just wanted to be a Ghostbuster, I think. It was it's one of those films that you watch it, you just, yeah, you wanted to be a Ghostbuster and the team and all the catching ghosts and something that really made everyone just really want to do that and I, I loved it. It was you know, that's that's and then the cartoon was the same, it just made you want to be a Ghostbuster. That that's what I wanted to grow up, I wanted to be a Ghostbuster and that's what the film made me want to do. I still want to be a Ghostbuster now, but I don't think it's gonna happen. <laughs> Who, who wouldn't want to be a Ghostbuster? Who wouldn't want to be a Ghostbuster? Right. For me, um, I have to admit, yeah, very much the same as you, the whole idea of being a Ghostbuster, but um, it was just, it was all the technical stuff that you saw, you know, you had the proton packs, etc., but, you know, it's just the idea of running about New York City, this, one of the biggest cities in the world, just ripping it apart with all these toys and trinkets. <laughs> Plus what about you? That, yeah. Yeah, plus the fact you get paid for it, which is, you know, that mm. it's bound to be nice to uh, go around New York City, as you say, with a, a proton pack, a PKA meter, you know, a trap, all that kind of stuff. Not so good whenever the Environmental environmental Protection Agency come in to pay you a little visit, but more on that there later on. 
Um, yeah, or, or if you got slimed, that wouldn't be very, very nice. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Uh, um, not as if you can really scrub that off or take that to the dry cleaners and explain what you've been up to or anything. <laughs> uh, unless unless you were Egon, I kind of got the feeling that he quite liked the, liked the idea of getting slimed, but he didn't ever get no. it done until the second film, did he? <laughs> no. no. Um, Whereas Venkman didn't really get much of the stay puffed uh, marshmallow residue no. on him. Whereas Walter Peck <laughs> got quite a bit on him. But uh, So, Lawrence, uh, John Belushi was obviously going to be in the film before he died. And uh, Bill Murray, uh, would you think he was more than an adequate replacement for the late John Belushi? In many ways, I think Bill Murray is Ghostbusters. It's all, it's, it, I've got it on now, before the call. And you watch the first scenes, it's all about Bill Murray. When he goes and goes to Dana's apartment, and it's, it's just all about... It's a, it's a Bill Murray film with the other guys, I think, and I don't think John Belushi would have made it any better. I, don't know, I, I think Bill Murray made Ghostbusters in many ways. It's, I don't... Maybe didn't make Ghostbusters, but he's the main, main guy, isn't it? I don't know if John Belushi would have made it any better. No. I must admit, that's, that's true. Like, I'm a big fan of John Belushi from, obviously, his days doing, you know, Blues Brothers and all that sort of stuff. Another movie that he did with Aykroyd, he would have been a good part in the film as Venkman, but it's like you say, Lawrence, you know, when we look back at Ghostbusters, you just see Venkman and Murray, and it's just the picture you see. Obviously, apart from the famous logo, He's the key thing that just sums it up for you. And I mean, I can't—you can't imagine John Belushi with uh, Dana Barrett, can you? Either? <laughs> no, doesn't really go. He's really short as well, and she's really tall. It would look a bit funny. <laughs> but as well as if they had John Belushi in the film, would we have had Harold Ramis as Egon or um, Winston? Would we have had um, them in the film? I don't know. That's 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 a tricky one. But I think you would have you would have still had. Ackroyd obviously in there but whether you know the Ramis style of Egon would have mixed with Belushi is another thing whether it would have been so just Blues Brothers chasing ghosts then uh, yeah it's, it's hard to think of the Ghostbusters not being Bill Murray isn't it I think yeah you know and then, yeah when I, I, read, I was just reading on the internet it says Dan Ackroyd always says Slimer was modeled on John Belushi because a bit of a party animal going out drinking and eating all the time so <laughs> Slimer so he yeah. was in it some way as the ghost <laughs> It is true. Like um, Murray made that movie and the series his own. He did. So I mean, he, he did. And, yeah. I mean, no, it's like they like, talk about the third film. It's all like they've all been waiting to say if he's going to do it, and he yeah. says he's going to do it, doesn't he? So that's not the go but, for the um, third film. That's, that's going to be the tricky thing. Is number three is the whole rumours of is he going to be a ghost? Is he going to be real? Oh, I sort hope of thing. He's not a ghost. I know, I hope he's not a ghost, so I don't... But there's also there's the rumours then that um, Oscar is supposedly going to be a Ghostbuster. <laughs> I don't think that's a bad idea. It would, it would, make, it would make a point, considering you know, Bill Murray's Venkman you know, became very friendly you know, with him when he was looking after him in number two. Yeah, I don't know what the ghost, that guy's name is. Uh, Mike Hiera, oh, is it? Um, Jack Black said might be in it as well. They were of Ramus on that year one film, so yeah, they might both be in Ghost. But I don't know. It'd be quite interesting <laughs> to see. The internet is full of myths and uh, little subjects yeah. to, that we're obviously <laughs> talking about now. So, Alan, I'll throw <laughs> this one over to you. Um, did we all want to have a proton pack whenever we were kids, and what was the appeal of it? 
This, to be totally honest, Chris, a wee bit of a silly question. Who didn't want a proton pack? You know, really? Um, the appeal of it, just the words nuclear accelerator. Kind of. <laughs> you know, the things nuclear, if they have nuclear or plutonium in it, you're hooked. Yes, definitely. Why not? You know, <laughs> so things that could make possibly big explosions, you know? It's the scene when you hear it get, you know, them starting it up first time round and you just hear it. That's a great noise. It's it is one of the best noises in cinema. Yeah, so it is. Definitely. It just just hooks you. Lawrence, so what about yourself? No, I, yeah, I definitely wanted the proton pack. I think I had the uh, the toy. You put you get the foam. Th- th- yes, foam I had that. I had that. <laughs> yeah. I said that to Alan, and he just laughed at me near enough. Yeah, I had a different one, sort of like pump it, and it fire little foam sponges out. And then I had another one, which also used to be like beam a light on it. You'd be ghosts. You'd actually beam onto the walls. That was quite a good one. That. Awesome. Oh yeah. Amazing to think how small they are when you see them now. If you ever see one, it's really small. <laughs> I just remember uh, whenever I was a kid having one of those there, and after watching the real Ghostbusters, I don't know what it was, but at the intro, whenever you see them sliding down the pole and they're running, I always love the noise of their feet. Yeah. I always used to try and replicate that running around with a <laughs> proton pack. Uh, tried it yesterday, but uh, not that, as fit as I used to be, so uh, <laughs> you know, these things weigh a bit of a ton, as uh, Venkman said in the second one. Um, so we've had a lot of great cars in the 80s the likes of the A-Team van kit from Knight Rider and obviously the Ghostbusters had their main mode of transportation which was Ecto-1 why did we all go nuts for Ecto-1 Lawrence? I think all the noise I mean the, the, the sirens and it just looks so cool and then I mean, when it turns up at the start of the film it looks aw- in such an awful state but when it comes out the doors on their first the first bus when they get Slimer it's such an amazing scene with all the, the colours and the sirens it's it's just one of the best cars and in Ghostbusters 2 I think it even looked better with all the extra things on top that was great you know, it's one of the best movie cars ever I think yeah definitely I'm, uh, I must admit that's true but uh, I'm very annoyed Chris that you left another very famous car off this list if you can guess oh god um, <laughs> no I didn't oh yes Starsky and Hutch's car is that the one you're talking about no, I'm talking about the bleeding DeLorean, you idiot. Oh, yeah, that was my show. I'm sure if you mentioned that. DeLorean. <laughs> I didn't want to mention them all. There's so many cars. <laughs> Actor 1's obviously the one we're going to talk about. It. So, Alan, why was Actor 1 one of your favourites? Oh, it's like Lawrence says, when, especially having... Um, when you mention the... When you think about um, Actor 1, there was a documentary that was on the game. We'll talk about the game later. But it showed you all the details about it, you know, the flashing lights, the noises, all that sort of stuff. It's it seems like a key part of Ghostbusters that we've you know been hammering on about is noise seems to be the key part that hooks you on a certain you know part of the show. The proton packs, Ecto One, you know, they all have just these redefining features around the sound and just the way they look. Yeah, so right. you know. That's that's just the grasping. Plus, a fact as well is that um, you know you're doing a job. You're not necessarily a policeman or a fu- you know driving a fire engine or being in an ambulance, but you're getting to go round, flying around the corners. You know, say 88 miles an hour, perhaps. There, I'll do that. For you. <laughs> um, hey, you know, like you. going around the corners and things. But it seemed to be. It seemed even though it had more stuff on it, like the little. Um, little things you know coming up saying Ghostbusters for hire uh, it seemed to even be faster in the second one obviously um, if they didn't have Ecto-1 they wouldn't have known to use the Statue of Liberty perhaps 
Mm. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they must have sped that sped that bit of film up to make it go that fast. <laughs> all that stuff on top of it. I, you never know. I we'll, we'll look at look at Kid from Knight Rider, uh, Super Pursuit mode. I think it's just that <laughs> fast forwarded slightly. I got I got Ghostbusters on now, and every time you see them in the the firehouse and in the car, you just you want to see more of their their equipment. That's 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 what you want to see in the the car. You just want to see more and more of it. They were just having the set. I was just watching the scene now. Where they're downstairs by the containment unit, and uh, like they're talking about the Twinkie and how it's that's how much paranormal <laughs> energy there is in the city. And there's the uh, there's the ghost trap there, and you, you just want to see more of it. And it's uh, I think that was always the frustrating thing. And like there was that montage section in the middle of Ghostbusters after they catch Slimer, and you always I always wish that was there was another scene of them catching a ghost. But obviously, you got to make it more of a film, so. They can't yeah. really do that, but you you want to see another ghost catch because there's only ever Slimer, wasn't there? And then, oh, well, I suppose the goat, the library coast, and then the one at the end. You never saw any more them going out on many more busts. But yeah. that was that was the only frustrating thing I always found on Ghostbusters was that you never saw another ghost catch. Yeah, the one thing, well, we may as well mention it, the way you're saying about wanting to know more is the game gave you the idea yeah. to just see that wee bit more. That's off. what I loved about it, yeah. Hunt, so just walking around the firehouse. Yeah. And the, you got to try this pool achievement. Yeah, it was great. I just loved to walk around the firehouse. And there was a bit where you could walk down the side by un, underneath the stairs that go up the top. And then you could look through the window. And there's a little Ghostbusters 2 memorabilia down the side. Sort of. <laughs> Did you see that bit? That was great. Yeah. Okay, so obviously we touched um, on John Belushi, you know, uh, maybe being in the film, Bill Murray taking his place. So, Lawrence, uh, maybe a bit of a redundant question, but uh, favourite character from the film then? Venkman. It's got to be Venkman. He's the, he's the guy. He's the dude. I mean, it was Ray and Venkman, but it's Venkman every time. He's he's my favourite Ghostbusters. If I ever play online on the Ghostbusters game, I'm always Venkman. It's great. <laughs> it's, it's all about Venkman. And he gets all the girls as well. You know, He's the one who gets the girls. He's, he's the greatest Ghostbuster. He's got he's the heart of well. Yeah. Although Ray is the heart and soul of the Ghostbusters. Right. Yeah. yeah. Talk about Eggman. Just cause I think it's because he's so cool about it as well. You know, he's just chilled out about it. You know, when they go and catch the library ghost, he just doesn't... He's not really that bothered about it and thinks they're just being a bit silly. But then, obviously, when he, when he needs to be the hero, he be, he becomes a hero. I love that bit in the uh, in the end of the film when... They, uh, I think someone there's the stairs and then someone says, where do they go? And Eggman's like, they go up. And then there's a, there's a lightning strike, and then he's like, right, everyone, everyone go forward yeah. in front of me, because he, he's, that's, that's classic, it's great. But when he, when he needs to be the leader and the hero, he can be. That's why Venkman's the yeah. best. Venkman as well, but like uh, Lawrence says, uh, always had a wee bit of a soft touch for Ray, because, you know, he's the heart and soul. But it's just one of those things. I have, you know, this underrated lightning for Winston, I know I feel like I'm leaving out Egon here, but <laughs> Winston, though underused, uh, he's underrated. Another key thing that supposedly Bill Murray was driving on about for wanting to do Ghostbusters 3 was wanting the Winston character to be more developed. Well, he even said that in the game. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do the game unless Winston had equal billing. So, I mean, I remember from years ago, in the, in the game, when the, ga- the Ghostbusters game came out, for when the original film was made, Winston wasn't even in the game or on the front cover of it. And he, he's not, I've even got the DVD, uh, which was out, I think it was 99 or something, and he's not even on that. He's not even on the back cover of it. It's, it's weird how they never really put Winston in it. And he was such a main character in the cartoon and everything. I know he only came in halfway through the film. That was quite yeah. strange. And they didn't really give him equal billing in the second film either, I thought. It wasn't oh. in it that much. 
which then just backs up Bill Murray wanting to give him that extra yeah. thing. Plus, he had some of the best lines in there as well. You know, you can't forget that that's a big Twinkie. Yeah. And if, if there's a steady paycheck involved, I'll do anything you say. Yeah. Or he got the last line in the first film, I love this time. I think I would probably say that Ray would probably be my favourite one. I think Bill Murray is a fantastic character, but just uh, some of the moments, you know, that um, Ray had, like whenever he's um, sitting there in the car, you know, talking to Winston about, you know, believing in God and all that stuff. But I, I just, there's not a character, If it's one of those rare films that you have the main tr- tribe, so to speak, but there isn't a character that you don't like. Apart from yeah. Peck. <laughs> yeah, but he's he's not really one of the you know like you have the you know uh, Venkman and you have Stance and you have Spengler and you have Zedmore and then you have Janine who's funny and then you have Lewis Tully um, and then Walter Peck is kind of kind of a, like a background character f- for my for myself but all the main characters who are in it I think do a superb job uh, Sigourney Weaver obviously have left out there but they all carry on to the second one and it's nice to see the uh, chemistry and the camaraderie so to speak of the Ghostbusters which is one of the things that makes it so appealing in my opinion that's what we want to see in a third film we don't want to be seeing I mean yeah I can understand the appeal of putting new Ghostbusters in it but that's one of the main reasons why Ghostbusters are so successful is all the actors and the camaraderie between them and having a new film with new Ghostbusters and Bill Murray being a ghost isn't isn't something uh, I mean I'll see it but you know what I mean it's not it's not but it's just a case that oh, you of don't want the, you don't want the old chemistry to be lost because that's what made Ghostbusters. Yeah, it's not. It's, I mean, I've seen that it's supposed to be a three D film as well, and it's not about the special effects Ghostbusters. I mean, there's only I think there's only one moment in the Ghostbusters film now that makes it look dated is uh the bit when the the terror dogs running across chasing Lewis yeah. running across the park. That looks yeah. a little bit dated, but the rest of it looks yeah. looks great. Still, it still doesn't look that dated. I don't think it's, it's the, the, you way know, the way you're saying. The way you were saying about the whole idea for it originally to be in 3D was it's the it's the one of the reasons that I'm so happy that they've decided to do the live action is the original plan was it to be a computer generated you know movie with the 3D capabilities and that again doesn't you know tell you this is Ghostbusters. No, it seems like they're trying to make a Ghostbusters film for the sake of making a Ghostbusters film. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I think if they do a free, if they do a, a, a animated one, you know. So, okay, so um, with Ghostbusters being uh, a film that's basically been a stable from our childhood to the current day, Lawrence, if you had to pick one moment from the film, what would it be? Mm, that's a tough one, dude. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I mean, I've got it on now a lot. I can't pick it, man. The whole film is amazing. I can't pick a, one moment from the film. No, I'm not. I'm not going to. Sorry. I know it's a. <laughs> I, the whole film's great, and the only bit that's frustrating is that they didn't do it. You didn't see another ghost getting caught. It was just in a montage. But the montage was still cool. Everyone loves a montage, and that 80s films are full of montages as well. So <laughs> the montage isn't bad. But as a kid, I always wanted to see them catch another ghost. You know, I think that was the same with Ghostbusters 2 when that was made. I always wanted to go and see him catch another ghost. But that's what made the game so good, because you could go and do that yourself. Mm-mm. So, but that, that's, that's the only thing I didn't like about Ghostbusters. But apart from that, I love it. And that's not saying I didn't like it. I was just, as a kid, I think you just wanted to see the Ghostbusters catching ghosts. Yeah. Alan, what about yourself? It's, it's one of those movies that it is good throughout, but if there was, had to be something that stood out for me 
as a defining moment. It's when they're on the top of the building and they just all turn around and look at Ray when they've been told that the Destroyer has been chosen and he's like, I couldn't help it. They're defenseless just with the puppy dog eyes. And then you just see Stay Puft just walking in between the buildings and it's like, oh, this is going to be fun. (laughs) I I do love the line from Ray when they're going off the library goes at the start and he goes, listen, smell something. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, I think for myself, it would probably be... um, I think it would probably be whenever you see Ecto-1 for the first time and they're going, you know, they they have the suit on, they have the proton pack for the first time. Um, that for me is just a moment that I'll never forget. I love the Ecto-1 um, car slash van, whatever way you want to, or hearse, whatever way you want to word it, but I just thought it was a fantastic vehicle. So that would probably be, my personally speaking, my favourite moment of it. Um, it's just one as well that uh, no matter how many times you sit down and watch it, it's kind of got that same Back to the Future Star Wars thing. You know, it it still is fresh and it still is exciting and it still is enjoyable as the first time you saw it to the hundredth or thousandth time that you've actually saw it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, I've got I definitely got one from the second film was when they catch the Scalari brothers for the first time and then they do the <laughs> two in the box, ready to go. We be fast and they be slow. I love that bit. <laughs> and then hold the do re egon. Yeah, that's the yeah. humour you love from Ghostbusters, and I really hope if they do do a new one, it's not going to be missing. True. Yeah. So the theme music uh, was obviously the theme music was very uh, catchy. Uh, it's still used to this day, although some adverts seem to wreck it more than pay it homage. Uh-huh. Um, how has it stood the test of the time? Do you think, Lawrence, with you being a musician and everything? Lots of hooks, man. And in the Who You Gonna Call Ghostbusters is a great hook, which is so easy to remember, gets stuck in your head. I mean, the riff on the guitar as well. That's another hook. The song's full of hooks. And that's why it stood the test of time more than probably many other 80s songs, really. It's just, you know, and it, that's, how, that's why it's using the 118, because, you know, who you're going to call 118 stands and sticks in your head. Easy things for your brain to remember. It's all about hooks, yeah. and that song is full of hooks. It does. It, it really just, it grabs you. So it does. It's one of those, it's one of those ones where anybody who, God forbid, hasn't actually seen the films will still know it. Yeah, and definitely. It just, it's a case of you'll find it would be one of those ones that everybody would say at a party or something like that. Everybody's kind of head would just turn around and just be like, this is brilliant. And everybody would be humming it or singing it and knowing the words without you know having studied it or anything like that. But it's again, I think it links back a wee bit to what we said in the last show, Chris. It has the soul of an older song that a lot of TV show themes or movie themes don't have nowadays. Yeah, um, it's something that if they were to make a third one, they would need to have this as the intro. Oh, you look at you yeah. look at Knight Rider. Whenever they made Knight Rider with David Hasselhoff, that theme music was catchy. Then they made the 2008 slash yeah. 2009 whatever one was had a little bit of a homage to the um, first one, but it, did, it lacked the, it lacked what the character really that the um, 80s music really had I, I think yeah. I think it would definitely be in the new film it, they, they wouldn't not have that because that's, that's the hook and that would be, I would see it getting into the charts and getting to number one again if they release a new film and you know cause it's just so so much for the hooks and that, that's why that song stood the test of time like I said because of the 
the hooks that people remember, and that's an easy thing for the brain to remember, songwriting yeah. 101. So they brought it out on Blu-ray, obviously, uh, give a better definition, and there's the new Mattel figures. Now, Lawrence, you don't know this, I don't think. Uh, I've just had an update via Twitter regarding the new Mattel figures. The new figures that are coming out are the, the Ghostbusters fi- figure finished slimed Peter Venkman and Ray in his science coat. Oh, really? Nice one. Yep, they're the new Mattel figures, which I've just had via uh, the guys from Pop Culture Network, updated via Twitter, so uh, uh, hopefully uh, you're happy with that. Are those 6-inch or 12-inch? I think they'll probably be 6-inch, uh, since the majority of them all seem to be. Um, yeah. So I would imagine they'd be 6-inch figures. I saw, I saw there, was a, there was a 12-inch Venkman coming out in March. I saw yeah. that. I looked at it, checked it yesterday. So... That'd be great. I can't wait to get a Venkman. It looks great on the site, on my on, on my shelf. You know, all the four, all the three uh-huh. I've got at the moment. And it's great the little little bits they come with. Like Slimer came with Egon, and the No Ghost sign came with Ray, and then the trap comes with Winston. And you can actually put Slimer into the trap because it comes with like a like some yeah. electric coming out. You can put Slimer in it as well. It looks great. Yeah, if <laughs> you go to um, www.popculturenetwork.com um, after the show, Lawrence, um, they'll have videos uploaded there, so you'll actually be able to see what they look like. Uh, they obviously have uh, to go off subject masters of the universe figures, so I'll be checking that out. Um, but what are your thoughts uh, on the figures and uh, the Blu-ray if you got it for the PS3, Lawrence? Uh, I haven't got it for the PS3 because I play, I play on the Xbox, dude. But um, I, mean, I just, I, I think, I think the um, the figures are great. I mean, it's something that. Like I, I waited for years for the Ghostbusters stuff to come out, and then it took, what was it 25 years, wasn't it, for any for any uh, action figures of the Ghostbusters mm-hmm. to come out? We had the we had the ones when it was the cartoon, but to have the ones that we've got now coming out, it's great. And there's, there's the mini mates as well. I haven't got any of them yet, but I want to get some of them. I love all this new Ghostbusters merchandise coming out, and to have the three Ghostbusters at the moment on my shelf looks looks brilliant. So I can't wait to get the uh, get Peter. I'm even going to get Peck just because it comes with the containment unit. Alan, what are your thoughts on the figure? Um, needless to say, somebody last um, the last episode somebody bought you uh, a soundtrack for a film that you liked, and then this year so again somebody bought you a figure of a certain film that you like. And, yes. Um, you obviously have the Blu-ray as well. Yeah, someone uh, again, Chris. Thanks. <laughs> See, I had it all planned. I, you know, I knew we were going to do a show, so I'd plant little seeds here and there. Yeah, so you could make be made to look good, eh? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you got me the Egon and Slimer one for Christmas, which still hasn't been out of the packet. You've got me in this thing now with your He-Man collecting that I don't want to take the stuff out of the box, <laughs> uh, which I hate you for now. Uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't going to take my Ghostbusters out of the box, but. I thought oh, I've got Egon in the box. I've got two Egons, but I thought to myself, "Man, I've waited 25 years to have these guys, and I just want to have them out of the box and on the shelf." And yeah. So I'll never sell them, so I'm not worried yeah. about the uh, the losing the value or anything. That's the sort of thing is you want to ha- take them out and just see what they all do and all that sort of stuff. It has been tempting. It's sitting on the shelf, just wanting to take it out and see what it does and all that sort of stuff. Knowing my luck, though, I'd end up losing Slimer or something stupid. <laughs> But um, like you were saying, Chris, about the Blu-ray, I was one of the lucky ones who, uh, at the beginning, paid full whack for it. I know someone else managed to get it in the sale at yep. work at work for a fiver. <laughs> but uh, I don't really care that I paid full price for it because it's very, very worth it. Just turn it on for the first time in Blu-ray, you're just like, here we go, I'm ready to get into this story again. And just 
you're ready to sit and see how good it is in Blu-ray and it's like Lauren said earlier it looks fantastic and the only thing that looks dated is the likes of the demon dogs chasing after you know through the park and all that sort of stuff it's it transferred very well to Blu-ray in my opinion yes it's it's one that um, with the likes of say um, Die Hard it didn't really rely on that many special effects it'd be interesting to see with the likes of Star Wars if if and when it comes out in Blu-ray how it would actually fare um, mm. Ghostbusters never really had a um, special edition like um, George Lucas did with Star Wars so he could touch up all the special effects. It'd be interesting to see that if they did that, you know, with Ghostbusters, how much better the quality of the the certain parts that kind of lack um, would have actually been. Well, I think the only bit they'd need to do is the terror dog. I think the rest of it, that's that's the magic of the film as well. I don't think it... I mean, I'm just watching it now. I've got it on the screen, the sound down. And there, there, there's the bit where Peck's turning off the containment unit. And you can see on the shelves behind them all the... The, the traps, the used traps, and all that. It's, it's, I don't. The special effect. It wasn't a special effects film. It was more of a story-driven film with special effects, and that's. And I think the, the, one of the beauty things about Ghostbusters is also the that it's a thing for the kids. But then there's so many jokes as well. You watch it when you've grown up that mm-hmm. are more adult as well. Like the bit when he says about Alice at the start, and she's seen the um seen the library go. She's lying, lying on table. He asks her if she's menstruating right now. And like when you're a kid, you don't even know what that, what what that means. <laughs> Yeah, but exactly. you watch it when you're an adult, and it's really funny. Yeah. Um, we're going to cover a small portion of other Ghostbusters items, like Ghostbusters 2, real Ghostbusters, and the video game, because with Ghostbusters, it's such a rich uh, film. Um, it's probably something that we'd explore again. So, Lawrence, if you want to go over um, maybe some of the stuff to do with Ghostbusters 2, then real Ghostbusters, and the Ghostbusters video game, which you got for the Xbox 360, yeah, I got that. I got that on import when uh, early. I got it in June when it came out because when they, because they said that um, it wasn't going to get released on the Xbox for ages. So I got. I was even contemplating getting a PS3 to so I could play the game, but I didn't. Luckily, Atari made it multi-regional. No, um, yeah, Ghostbusters 2 set five years after Ghostbusters one. Great film. I, I, although to be fair, it's a great film, and as a fan, I love it. But the storyline, if you run it along the same lines, is quite identical to the first film. I'm, I'm, you know, sad to say, it's, it's, it, yeah. but it's, it's still a great film, and I think that's. I mean, I've read reports. Bill Murray says he he really didn't like the film. He sort of thought that special effects guys took over the film, which is why. So if they make a new one, I hope they don't do that and really make it a special effects film. Cause it's, I think Ghostbusters two kind of lost the character-driven story a, a wee bit, but it was still a great film, and to see them back again and to get to know the characters and see what they've been up to five years later was a was a great thing to happen. So I, I mean, I loved it. I remember. It. I think that I think actually think Ghostbusters two was the first film I ever saw at the cinema. Actually, right. Well, that's that's a big one anyway. Sort of. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about the real Ghostbusters, Lawrence? Great cartoon. I remember, I, I, I even watch it on YouTube now. Brilliant. I mean, it was it was, just, it was although it didn't have many links to the actual films. If you know, if you, I think there's only mm-hmm. one or two. There was one. Where um, they they go back, it shows like a, a recap montage. No, like a recap. The Ghostbusters come in after fighting Stay Puft into the firehouse, and then their suits have been covered in, in the in the uh, marshmallow goo, and then the suits make like evil Ghostbuster ghosts. If you remember that? That's the end. And then there was another one where they mention Ghostbusters Two was when I think Peter gets gets covered in in mood slime. That's, I think that's the only two references they really make to the films. Yeah. Really, like hard references to the films. 
Okay. Alan, what are your thoughts on the if you watched the cartoon whenever um, you were a child? Yeah, the cartoon for me when I was a kid confused me initially because I was again one of those people who was like, is Egon's hair not the wrong colour? <laughs> <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. But it's like Lauren says, it's one of those wee ones. It it is a confusing one because initially you didn't have that many links to the show. But you were a kid at the time and you just enjoyed this oh, this is Ghostbusters again. Sort well, of it, was, it, it was it was very dark when it first came out, but then mm-hmm. um, the 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 uh, I don't know who who released it. I can't remember who released it, but I, they wanted to make you have the DVD. I have the DVD, but it's not in front of me. I can't remember who actually. Oh, I can't remember who released it. Yeah, they they wanted to make it more for the kiddies, so they made it more about Slimer, and then they called it because it was just the real Ghostbusters, wasn't it? And mm-hmm. they made it Slimer and the real Ghostbusters, and it sort yeah. of leaned a little less scary, leaned more more, more towards kids and. Although we were kids yeah. at the time, you know, I can't really remember if I was scared watching it. You know, I, yeah. I just love seeing the Ghostbusters every week, so I don't think it really, the change really affected me at the, like, at the time. There was like the filmation did the um, filmation's Ghostbusters. Then there was real Ghostbusters. Then there was Slimer and the real Ghostbusters. And then there was the extreme uh, Ghostbusters, which I never really. Um, Look at you, Mr. Pac-Man. Yeah, uh, indeed. Um, although although the, there is an episode of Extreme Ghostbusters when the old Ghostbusters come back. Yeah. Two, it's the final two episodes, I think, of it. Final, or it might not be the final two. It's in the second series. You can get it on YouTube and things. Yeah, they get the original Ghostbusters come back and they go out together. Catch loads of ghosts. It's quite good. Alan, w- um, obviously we played the uh, Ghostbusters game together on the PS3 whenever it first came out. Uh, what are your opinions on that um, just very briefly Ghost, Ghostbusters the game for me started with the build up since you know before it was even released so it was it just um, being and working you know everybody was coming in asking asking you know when's it coming out you know when can we have it and the breaking of the bad news about it not coming out in Xbox was a big killer I must yeah. admit and uh, I even managed to get a Mini Cooper Estate in the Ghostbusters Acto One scheme of colours, and that really set everybody off. At you know on release day, that's for stuff. And just standing there looking out at the car, knowing that I would be getting the game later that day, and just wanting to be home playing it there and then because it just built up the atmosphere for it. And then when you got to sat, you know, I got to sit down with the game and turn it on, and you get your first, you know, the training level and you have to chase after Slimer in the basement and before he shoots off back to the hotel you're just like I'm in the Ghostbusters I'm a Ghostbuster this is amazing <laughs> it, it was it was it was it was a brilliant game for any Ghostbusters fans if you haven't played that you've got to play it well I can't believe there'd be no Ghostbusters fans who haven't played the game but it's it was so good I, I, I got it on import and I was waiting I think it took three weeks after it had come out in America to arrive here, and every day I was getting back and I was uh, and waiting for it to come through the post, and it came, and I, I just put it into the Xbox, and I just loved every moment of it. it I mean, I completed it quite quickly, which was the only problem, but so, I mean, I've played for it about three or four times since. It's, I love walking around the firehouse, it's great. And uh, I mean, the only thing that probably was a shame on the game was the, the co-op, the, t- the multiplayer mode, which was good, then when you play a game like Left 4 Dead, for example, you actually play through missions, and like that would have been great if you could have actually been the four Ghostbusters playing yeah. through 
the game and multiplayer playing it through together as the four Ghostbusters, which would have made the game classic with the franchise of Ghostbusters and that sort of Left 4 Dead type thing going with it would have made the game classic. But that's why I can see why some non-Ghostbusters fans might have thought it was yeah. a bit not so good. But I, I thought it was one of the best. Well, I, lo- I was going to love it, whatever. So I'm quite biased. I, <laughs> I don't think I could do a fair review of Ghostbusters to be to be honest. I think it's one of those games that uh, a lot of movie-based games are normally quite poor. The only mm-hmm. one that would stick out in my mind, bar Ghostbusters, would be Goldeneye back in the N64. Yeah, yeah. Quite brave there. But the fact is that they got um, all the all the actors to come back to voice their uh, their characters, all the Ghostbusters to come back to voice their characters. Uh, the guy who played Walter Peck to come back to voice his character as well. Uh, for me, it was almost like having Ghostbusters th- three in front of you because um, it was just it was just like a script that you'd never seen before. And if they come across like that in the Ghostbusters three film, there's nothing to worry about at all. It's, it was the the game was a script they couldn't have done in film, I think, as well, which is what another added appeal to it. I thought for me, for me, the game was Ghostbusters three. I know there was mm. Ghostbusters three coming out, but the game was Ghostbusters three for me. It was, it was brilliant. I, I, I think I don't think I've ever been so excited for a game when they announced that. Because I always used to look on YouTube and on the internet, like everyone does, Ghostbusters video game. And I remember when the first video came out, I was so excited. I watched it like twenty times. Like you know, I, the, this little... the trailers were fantastic for it. Yeah, they were. They were. I think our know, trouble is I spoiled it for myself, didn't I? I read all the spoilers <laughs> and saw what happened. But I mean, I just love. I loved it. Great game and. You know, even the, the online the online mode is really good, but mm-hmm. I think if you have played a game like Left 4 Dead or Gears of War, say, it, Left, Left 4 Dead, Gears of War, Resident Evil 5, you know, you're spoiled for the co-op. It's yeah. just something to prove on for eventually if they do decide to bring out another one when Ghostbusters 3 comes out. Well, our, our friend Simon on the Xbox magazine, he works on Ministry of Slam, says they are bringing out a Ghostbusters, another Ghostbusters game, so hopefully they will work on that, because apart, I mean, like, like everyone said, the, the fact that all four Ghostbusters were together, again, was brilliant. I, I would have liked a little bit more customization, a bit more free roaming, <laughs> like GTA maybe, but not too much like GTA, but something <laughs> like that would have been good. But just to walk around the firehouse was brilliant. And, I like the way the game leaves it off with the idea of them opening franchises. Yeah. That, which, could that lead, which could lead to a bit more of a free roaming sort of, not free roaming, yeah. build your character sort of type game in the next one. You know, and maybe they don't even have to get the ghost, the original Ghostbusters in it so much. You know, mm-hmm. if they're going to be, you say you're a Ghostbuster in LA, not New York. But that's another thing we haven't said about the film. New York was as much a character of the film. Yeah. Then, as the actual Ghostbusters were, New York, the city, is a character in the film. Which yeah, because you, know, you could believe you yeah. could believe New York to have all these sorts of ghosts in it because it has such a history. Yeah, I think it was more of more of a character in Ghostbusters too, obviously with the Statue of Liberty yeah. and things. But yeah, with that and people being really mean in New York, hence with the mood slime and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if we're to sum up our views on Ghostbusters, Alan, uh, what would you say? I think I only need to say one word, and that is historic. Lawrence? I would say it's a great film for kids to watch now. Yeah, it's a great film for kids to watch, like like we did when we were kiddies. And it's also a great film for adults to watch. And if, you, if you're if you an adult and you haven't watched it for years since you've grown up, watch it now because you'll get the jokes again. And, like, you know, there's loads more jokes in it for the adults to, to remember. Like, we do, well, we watch it now and we'll see all these jokes, which we wouldn't have got when we were kids. So it's just, it, it would be, it'd be it's a timeless classic. 
That's exactly what I was going to say. It's a timeless classic. It's as I said before. No matter how many times you watch it, uh, it remains a very good one um, to this day. So, Alan, are we going to move on to the uh, the next subject? Yes, we will move on. Indeed, Ghostbusters. Yes, very good at trapping ghosts. But one man they most certainly could not capture, even though he's meant to be dead, is the phenon himself, the Undertaker. Which leads us on nicely to our next topic, which will be WrestleMania 8. But we will talk about that after the break. And welcome back from the break. It's now time to, very impromptu, I must admit, this has happened just in between the breaks. We're joined by another good friend, Mr. Andy Evans, one of the hosts of Ministry of Slam. Good evening, Welcome, gentlemen. Andy. Hello, guys. How you doing? Not bad, not bad. Glad to have you here. Very impromptu, like I said, but good, good point for you to join us at. I hear you're going to be talking some wrestling, are you? Just, yes. just, just a wee bit. Yeah, well, we thought um, Lawrence obviously knows his older stuff, but we thought well, we need to have, as you have called yourself on numerous occasions, uh, the king of wrestling trivia. So we thought we can't really go down wrestling route without um, having one of the co-hosts from the Ministry of Slam, who's been there since, uh, since um, well, myself has started listening to it anyway. And you've yeah. been a good friend of the show and um, supporting it. So uh, the least we could do is have uh, Lawrence and yourself, Andy, on the show. Appreciate that. It's a great that, show, you guys. Have that, absolutely fantastic. That could be a wrestling character, Andy. The king of um, wrestling trivia. <laughs> uh, I think I lost that title about two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Alan, if you want to go ahead and uh, kick us off then, or ring the bell, so to speak. Well, ding, ding, then. Ding, ding. <laughs> yeah, this isn't rocking. Well... <laughs> Well, as everybody knows from us mentioning earlier, we're going to be doing WrestleMania 8. So we'll dive straight into the evening's first matchup, which is Tito Santana versus the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. So, Chris, do you want to start off? Yeah, I remember watching this, obviously, uh, um, whenever I got this uh, VHS recorded and popped it in the VHS player back in the day. The person who recorded it was nice enough to, not that I went against it, but I would watch it, the American National Anthem. So the first uh, image I was met with was Tito Santana walking to the walking to the ring. Um, great great match. Shawn Michaels certainly hasn't lost any of his um, pace or any of his moves over the last, what was that, 1992? For over the last um, 18, 18 years. 18 years. <laughs> yeah, it's been something. Uh, what about yourself, Lawrence? I, 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 well, I think it was a great match. I mean, I remember, wasn't it just, just when Sean had started turning to like the heel, wasn't it? You know, he mm. just just done it since was it just before the Rumble, wasn't it? Was it? Can't remember. Yeah, but yeah it was it was great and yeah, sensational. Sherry was down with him in the El Matador. I remember he had the pink boots and green trousers. Maybe one of the worst <laughs> color combinations in wrestling, I think. <laughs> what about yourself, Andy? Yeah, pretty much the same thing. I mean, bit of trivia for you. I don't know if you know, but this was Tito Santana's last WrestleMania appearance. Um, in this match he he did work a dark match at Wrestlemania 9 the following years but he never again appeared on TV uh, on a Wrestlemania match you know, 
bit like Lawrence was saying, Shawn Michaels full heel, and you you could tell from this moment just how good this guy was going to be 18 years down the line. And this was a great match to open it up. Really good. Unusual though, it went over the 10 minute mark for a WWF match. <laughs> Alan, what about your thoughts on that? This really showed you the glimpse of what Shawn Michaels was going to be. You know, starting off, I must admit when we were watching it the other day again to get the memories flowing, the whole idea of seeing Sherry walking down with him just made you think back to the Smackdown DVD with Sexy Kurt. <laughs> Make your ankle hurt. Yes. Uh, true. Uh, next up was... Now, Andy, is this correct that um, WrestleMania 8 was Jake Roberts' last WrestleMania appearance? It certainly was. Again. Uh, yeah, I was right. <laughs> yeah, we, we weren't uh, sure if he made another one when he made his comeback um, yeah. a few years later. Actually, no, you might be right, actually. WrestleMania 12. I, I uh, thought he did. Acting match. Yeah, no, you were wrong, Chris. Oh, <laughs> damn it. We can you edit lose, that Chris, out. You lose. We can edit that out, Dan. But um, one of uh, uh, the illustrious WrestleMania people was uh, The Undertaker, who was uh, fighting Jake Roberts and predominantly beat uh, Jake Roberts after taking, uh, I think it was two or three DDTs. Um, Andy, uh, what were your thoughts on, on this match here? Again, a bit like the Shawn Michaels one, you could see that The Undertaker, they were really building him to become the phenom of WrestleMania. I mean, second WrestleMania appearance following WrestleMania 7, and um, he was all over Jake Roberts. And it was a great match to show how the future of the WWF was really progressing in the new generation. And Jake Roberts was coming to the end of his run uh, with, with Vince for the, for the second time, about to go to WCW. Um, they really kicked the guy's ass and sent him out the door packing. So The Undertaker, with, with Paul Bearer as well, you know, with, uh, and The Urn coming out, and every time The Undertaker was punched or... Uh, in a bit of trouble bearer he used to put it close to his chest you, you don't see that anymore it was great to watch that and absolutely uh, amazing to see this match I remember it was, a, it was a bit of a face turn for the Undertaker because I've just seen that what, what it was was a Saturday night's main event with Randy Savage versus Jake Roberts Randy Savage beat Jake Roberts and um, Elizabeth came down they were walking down the aisle to go to the back and Jake Roberts was waiting for him and he had a chair and he's the first person who comes through I'm going to hit and Undertaker actually grabbed the chair and then the next week there was a funeral parlour and with Jake Roberts and he asked the Undertaker whose side are you on he said not yours and that's what actually started turning that's what started this feud which I didn't realise and then so it was I mean I remember yeah it was just, it, the Undertaker just became the unbeatable machine and he, that's when he started turning face wasn't it for that, that period of time so well, it was probably his first face Wrestlemania yeah it was because the one before wasn't was it with Jimmy Snooker no no no, no. One. But the thing about that, though, Lawrence, you picked up a really good point, because that storyline had been going on since, uh, I think it was Survivor Series, and uh, Jake Roberts and The Undertaker kind of teamed up, put the Cobra onto uh, the Macho Man Randy Savage, went to Tuesday in Texas. So that storyline was old-school style, taking it over about four or five months, leading to the blow-off match at WrestleMania, and you don't see that anymore, and you kind of miss it now. Which is a real shame. <laughs> yeah, it is, completely, because... You know, it's, it's now every four weeks you get a pay-per-view or two pay-per-views, <laughs> three pay-per-views if you count it today. And watching a story develop like that with all the twists and turns reminds you of what classic wrestling was all about and classic sports entertainment. And you, I, I don't know, but you really do miss it, I think. What about mm -hmm. you, Alan? You know, our lead-ups to matches nowadays, it's a couple of weeks. The thing the closest we had in build-up capabilities in recent history was the Michaels-Jericho feud from... You know, just this last year, 
but it's the idea with this Jake Robertson Taker match is like we've been saying with it being the real start of Taker's big rise to being a face and undefeated the idea of someone being able to be hit with three DDTs especially back then was just out of this world well the funny thing was he had actually been champion before that and then then they gave him the push after after this so yeah yeah you know, he obviously went against Hogan, didn't he? At Survivor Series on Tuesday in Texas, and then that's that's what caused the you know because Hogan beat him, wasn't he? And then that was what caused the, the championship to become whoever won the Rumble that year won the championship. Ric Flair, wasn't yeah, it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. beat Hogan thanks to Flair's interference at Survivor Series, um, yeah. and then yeah. the title was vacated, and that's how we got to the Rumble. But you know, it was the Undertaker had only been in the company year, was already on the rise and. WrestleMania is what it's all about. It's showcasing the immortals and making the future stars, and that's what classic WrestleMania was all about. Maybe not so much these days, but you know, classic WrestleMania around that time was building up the younger talent. And the Dead Man's not exactly young now, but back in '92, he was still at the beginning and the prime of his career. And uh, and you could tell that by the way he kicked Jake Roberts' veteran ass. <laughs> but also to to say that though, Jake Roberts was great. You see the programs leading up to the match. I mean, that's what, that's what you're missing in it nowadays in wrestling and people like Sheamus and all these new people. You're not getting so much. Um, someone like Jake Roberts was a legend on the mic and I hope he goes in the Hall of Fame this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, I'd yeah. agree. Um, two people who uh, had an awesome match for the Intercontinental Championship and are in the Hall of Fame were Roddy Roddy Piper, who was the champion. The only belt that he actually won, uh, apart from the uh, tag team gold, the only singles gold then that he actually won. Uh, Travis yeah, it is, but then again, Jake the Snake uh, never won any gold apart from the Million Dollar Championship, if you can call that that. Or Ted DiBiase, really, did he? Any of the tag belts? Yeah, that was another travesty, yeah. Yeah, but he was facing Bret Hart. Uh, for me, apart from um, the end match, this was the match of the evening for me. Uh, I'm not a huge Bret Hart fan, uh, but I just love the storytelling in this. Uh, it would have to be, for me, it would also have to be uh, the best match that I um, saw Roddy Piper in. Uh, Lawrence, what are your thoughts on, on the match? I'm going back... In back in time in my head if I remember that was something I was really looking forward to and if, if I remember it was one of the first well obviously there was a Hogan Warrior a couple of years before that might have been a bit before my time I would have only been about seven then to really think about wrestling but that was the time I remember Brett and Piper was the first two faces going against each other and I remember I loved Piper being the Intercontinental Champion he beat the Mountie didn't he at the Royal Rumble before that yeah. and um, yeah I remembered that match and I mean, it was a good, good ending as well with Piper bringing in the bell wasn't it? He was gonna referee took a bump and the Piper brought in the bell and was gonna hit Bret Hart with it, but then decided not to put Hart in the sleeper and then Hart pushed against the turnbuckle and rolled over, didn't he, for the pin? But it was a good ending, it's a great match. And I remember it was very excited when I was younger because it was two faces and two people. I and I'm not really that much of a Bret Hart fan, but see Piper as the Intercontinental. I loved Roddy Piper as the Intercontinental Champion. It was a very great shame that you didn't see him with more championship gold in his career. Um, yeah, I, I, myself, I think. Yeah, I agree with everything that you said. Brett the Hitman Hart is the excellence of execution. And Lawrence, I know on MOS we talk about the fact that, that you're not exactly the biggest Brett Hart fan, but Brett Hart is the legend, and, and he is one of the best. Not the Brett Hart you see now, of course, but you know the, the Brett Hart back then. And Roddy Piper, in terms of only winning one championship in his career, yeah, in the WWE he did only win the Intercontinental Championship, but 
he was one of those workers that didn't need a title to be over with the crowd. He didn't need to be uh, the world champion or the tag team champion or the intercontinental champion. That guy had the ability to cut a, the promo and that natural charisma that you need in the ring. And, you know, he was he was phenomenal. And, of course, don't forget, he was U.S. champion for the NWA as well. So he won major titles, not in the WWE, but not just a singles belt in the, in the company in professional right. wrestling. Right. Also, to be, to be fair, we're saying about the championships. I don't think back then that championships, I mean, they were, they were, they were super important. There was a lot, lot, of, uh, lot of hype being the champion, like Hulk Hogan and everyone. But because the storytelling was so good, the, the matches didn't have to have a championship on the line. But, you know, we were treated because this was an intercontinental championship match. But, you know, ones back then did like Undertaker Jake Roberts. The storytelling was so good. You didn't have to have a belt on the line to have a great match. And that might be what lacks a little bit nowadays with wrestling, I think. The other thing about that as well is the, is the amount of time they gave each match. Because, you know, like you're saying, Lawrence, in terms of the storyline, I don't think there's, there's one, maybe two matches that are under the, the five-minute mark. But everyone else is like... Um, 18 minutes for Randy Savage versus Ric Flair. 12 and a half minutes for Hulk Hogan. A Hogan match going over 12 minutes. You know, um, 13 minutes 50 for Bret the Hitman Hart and Roddy Piper. A true amount of time to showcase the good guy going over, the bad guy going over, the switch, um, the good guy getting his ass handed to him and then retaliating back. And that is that is the art of a true wrestling man it's a true story and getting the fans into it and, and like you said we don't see that now and it's such a shame because with some of the workers if you let them go guys like Edge guys like Jericho Michaels even to this day they could still tell a bloody good story in that ring and they're not being given the time to go out there at Wrestlemania or SummerSlam and actually do that and it, it's such a travesty um, uh Alan, what uh, do you remember about this match, if, if you can uh, cover anything that uh, we haven't already said? Yeah, not, not much more I can say, but uh, <laughs> just <laughs> can't, can't beat the Trivia King. Uh, but I must say, out of the two, I've always been a Piper man to have, which I think is quite fair between you've always been a Hogan man. Yeah. So it's, it's nice that I get the opposite side when it comes to this rivalry. But... It, again, like the guys have said, a hell of a match, you know, the hell of a build-up that you could have for a match. And it's, as Lawrence said earlier, the twist with the, you know, will Piper hit him with the bell, will he won't. Just, it's the sort of thing that we miss, and I don't think we'll really ever get back. Mm-hmm. Uh, with WrestleMania 8, um, this was the first wrestling pay-per-view I'd seen, so this was actually the first match that I'd seen that um, had blood in it, obviously, you know, like WrestleMania 7, the Hogan uh, fighting Slaughter, that was the one before that, and there was blood there, but this was the first one that I'd actually seen blood um, in it with um, with Bret Hart bleeding, but um, something that, uh, you know, they seem to use less then than, you know, obviously whenever we're in the PG stage, WWE now, they don't use at all, you know, if somebody's bleeding, they're near enough come up with uh, super glue to super glue their um, their uh, cuts together. So we'll move on to the the next match, the eight man tag match. Um, to um, a tag team here, which are still, uh, if you could say, active in inverted commas, <laughs> the Nasty Boys, uh, with the Mighty and Repo Man versus Hacksaw, Jim Duggan, Virgil, Big Boss Man, and Sergeant Slaughter, and the. Do you have anything positive to say about this match at all? <laughs> no. 
I am kind of at a loss now. Lawrence, was, what, what well, I, I think I mean the good thing about this match is another match is showcasing the future of wrestling with the Nasty Boys in it. They're still about today and showing what they can do, and that's what we want to be seeing. And WrestleMania 8 was a real showcase for the future of wrestling. Nasty Boys is another example. I think whenever they say <laughs> WrestleMania is a showcase of the mortals, they should just write Bar Nasty Boys. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with the Nasty Boys. <laughs> nothing right with them either, in my opinion. Um, Alan, uh, please uh, save this match if you can. <laughs> please save this match. I don't think I really can. Uh, okay. But it's... Well, if you were to say showcase the future, you could still class Jim Duggan in there. He's still going. <laughs> but uh, it's... You can't say much about this, really, can you? No. I think it's... Um, if you were going to say that people pay to see this match, I think they would be lying. Um, but, mm. you know, uh, the next match up, uh, since we have nothing really positive nor constructive to say about that match, uh, next match up, uh, one of the best matches, um, another great match, uh, WWE Championship, um, Ric Flair with the legend who is Mr. Perfect against Matchman Randy Savage. Uh, Lawrence, what do you remember about the build-up? Um, to this match, I remember going back. It was all the storylines of the uh, of Miss Elizabeth with Ric Flair and the pictures and Ric Flair's head being cut. Off, you know, cut off and like you guys said earlier on the phone call, uh, you know, um, you know, cutting Ric Flair's head onto Randy Savage's body. But the match was great and lots of blood as well. But I think just I've just read up that Ric Flair got fined for this match for um, but he got caught on camera blading on camera in this match. He got fined several thousand dollars. I've just found out. Well, it was a great match, if I remember, and you know, to see Randy Savage become champion again, it was brilliant. I mean, the face Savage, wasn't it? And that was brilliant. I love, I love Randy Savage as a face, and another, another fine example of fine storytelling over a long period of time, because this feud went on to the following SummerSlam, wasn't it? And also Savage up against uh, Flair at the Survivor Series, wasn't he, that year? So it went on for a whole year, this feud, in a way. Well, it wasn't against him singles match, but you had Mr. Perfect with him, wasn't he? So this story went on for quite a long time, for the whole year of 1992. Yeah, because if memory serves, uh, SummerSlam was whenever uh, the Ultimate Warrior was fighting uh, uh, Randy Savage. Wembley? And then, yeah. And then Ric Flair was going to be in the corner, and uh, somebody asked him, who are you going to be in the corner of? To which he replied, the corner of the winner, who else? But kind of interfered. And uh, Andy, uh, your thoughts on this match? I mean, that's all you can really say about it. Randy Savage... Um, and Ric Flair, I mean, two consummate professionals, two guys who you, you knew that whenever you put them together, they would have an, a great match, and the chemistry just rolled off between those two, and the only sad thing about this one is, um, again, it was Elizabeth's last appearance in the WWE, uh, especially at WrestleMania, and the fact that they were already divorced um, at the time the match actually took place, and it was a great shame. Elizabeth looked absolutely stunning um, coming down to the ring, and you know, Randy, for all of his um, issues that he's had over the years in, in the industry, you, you can't take it away from the fact that that guy was a great performer. And this match showcased it because at this point, two-time WWF champion uh, went on, as you said, to face a warrior at SummerSlam and then the tag match with Mr. Perfect at Survivor Series. You know, it was awesome. And what I love about this is the fact they put it halfway through the main event, halfway through the paper. You know, it wasn't like at the end of the night you had it halfway through, and oh, it was legendary. I love it. I can watch it all the time. Alan, 
like Andy said just there, it's something that's been adopted more in recent WrestleMania pay-per-views is the idea of having it in the middle of the card. It breaks up the pay-per-view, it keeps people's interest, it keeps the crowd going. So it does especially. But you can't say enough about the two guys that are actually in you know, the title match itself. You've got Ric Flair against Macho Man Randy Savage. Two of the best with Mr. Perfect himself with Ric Flair. Another one of my big, big favourites because such a character. But it's again, like we've been saying, just shows the history of wrestling is build-ups are key. The individuals with the characters and the ability just talk for itself. Yeah, it's also nice whenever you see them. Uh, the older WrestleManias, you know, like uh, say whenever Ric Flair lost, uh, Shawn Mooney's interviewing him. Whenever Macho Man Randy Savage won, you saw Mean Gene interviewing them. You don't really get that much backstage uh, interviews and. Uh, Nowadays, as you do in the older ones, that's something that I always love seeing. Was seeing the likes of Sean Mooney or Mean Gene Okerlund, especially you know whenever Mean Gene's talking to Hulk Hogan, you know later on, or uh, his classic promo with Sid Justice, which I'll, I'll talk on a little bit later. But a, a fantastic match from beginning to end. It's one that um, I can really watch. Um, especially, it would probably be my second favourite Savage match. My first would probably be him against uh, the Ultimate Warrior uh, the year prior. In yeah. Um, A career-ending match. Yeah, the career-ending match. Yeah, that's Great right. match. Yeah. Uh, so, um, again, we'll move on. We'll move <laughs> on. Um, Tatanka versus Rick and the Model Martel. Um all I can really remember about this match is Martel cutting a promo and said that Tatanka was still out scalping tickets. That's all I can <laughs> remember about this. So, Andy, uh, uh, hopefully this will not be another nasty boy scenario. Uh, this is not a nasty boy scenario. This was actually a really good uh, storyline build-up to this one. Basically, what happened was um, Rick Martel stole the feathers of Tatanka's native tribe. So Tatanka, who came in in, in a, a massive milestone at the end of 1991, um, undefeated at that point. Longest undefeated streak up until, I believe, Survivor Series of 93, where he lost to uh, the late Ludwig Borger. And um, this, was, this was a time when Tatanka came in and he had been given the feathers from Chief J Strongbow, uh, former WWE Hall of Famer. And, and basically... It was all about revenge. It was all about Tatanka trying to redeem uh, what he thought was the abuse of his people and trying to capture that back from the, the arrogance of Rick the Model Martel. And it came across because, again, Chris Chavis and Rick Martel showed what they can do in that ring. And Martel, in my opinion, has always been underappreciated in professional wrestling and undervalued. And same with Tatanka. That guy could have done a hell of a lot more in his run. And this match goes to show that they could have done it. They had a really short amount of time to get everything across. And in my view, they did it spot on. Loved it. Lawrence? I mean, the main thing I can remember was Tonka's undefeated streak from back then. I can't remember the match so much, but now, now Andy's bringing back the memories of the feathers and all that. I remember, oh yeah, I remember that. And yeah, I remember the good match. And well, maybe Tonka never went over as much as he could have because of the Indian uh, gimmick, maybe, but... I don't know. I mean, it was it was a good match. Yeah, another one. It's only four minutes forty three. They're very short. Match. I think it's the shortest match apart from the Owen Hart one. Yeah. yeah. 
Alan, what about yourself? Um, if you want to cover the the tribal dance that he has in, at the start of the the match, I'd I'd, I'd rather not do the tribal dance. I'm, I don't uh, think my impersonation would be too good. I've done a few impersonations in my time, but I don't think it would really slide at the minute. <laughs> and I don't want to hurt my voice either and wake up the neighbours. But uh, it's like the guys have said, Tatanka, a very underestimated guy. So he was. The whole idea with the undefeated streak, you wonder why, and it's again, you see it nowadays as well, they build up a guy so strong and then it all just falls to pieces. But even I remember when Tatanka came back in his last stint with WWE, the again, we're building them up, saying, oh, oh, you know, this is Tatanka, the guy who's had one of the longest winning streaks in the history of pro wrestling. And then you can see his gimmick worked then, so it did, but then they tried to change him, and then that's where it fell to pieces nowadays. But it's one of those underestimated matches, like Andy was saying, you can't just pass by it like a nasty boys match, because you, you have to have a bit of respect for these gentlemen. Uh, but, you know, decent wee match... Just it was. I think the trouble with this it would have been a case of it had a lot to follow, considering it came after you know the Ric Flair Macho Man match. With the next match, the tag team championship match, the Money Inc. Uh, includes one of your favourites, Alan uh, Ted DiBiase. Just, just, who, just, just one of my favourites, eh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, with IRS versus the Natural Disasters, Alan. Since you're a huge Ted DiBiase fan, and uh, <laughs> immediately after he was um, being. <laughs> you know, being put in the Hall of Fame, somebody's Facebook page went up with a video of it and stuff. Uh, obviously, you'll remember quite a bit about this match. Yeah, it's Teddy Biasi. What more can you say about the guy? One of the best speakers in the business. Yes, we had a lot of good speakers back then, but this man just was so charismatic. It was unbelievable, especially the whole idea of him actually being in a championship match. I know, as we've been saying, championship matches aren't you know, the be-all and end-all. But Teddy Biasi, like, what can you say? Uh, when it comes to the opponent, so... Mm, a bit of a bit of hard work has to be done here. But it's a case of... This sort of was the sort of match that Teddy Biasi was putting himself on the map with, in the sense of he was... You know, he wasn't up there, the main guy with the titles, you know, and all that sort of stuff. But... It's the likes of him and IRS that became memorable by not, you know, being up there and that sort of stuff. What about you, Chris? Um, well, I, I just basically remember them always being, you know, super heels, you know, Teddy Biasi, uh, one of all my all-time favourites. Natural Disasters, not so much. Didn't really like whenever they're doing promos and they're near enough jumping up and down, you know, really getting into it. But... I'll pass it over to Mr. Mr. Evans, and um, no doubt he'll come up with a, a little trivia nugget. <laughs> um, first WrestleMania appearance for Money Inc. There we go. There we go. <laughs> uh, what I never got about this one was why Jimmy Hart was put as the manager. I never got that um, because Money Inc. They could have brought Virgil back. You know, they could have had him as a bit like the old classic Ted DiBiase character. Instead, they brought the annoying little runt out to ringside with the match phone and I just never understood that really took away from the team but you know Money Inc the 90s version of beer money in my view uh, you gotta love DiBiase and it's great that he's going into the Hall of Fame at last 
Lawrence, what about yourself? I, I remember from this was the natural disasters being the faces, and obviously they were, because obviously the heels with TBS and Shoster, but like, I just, uh, back then I think I, I, I really liked them. Like, obviously we're, we're talking about it as wrestling marks, say, um, what, what we thought about it now, but back then I remember the natural disasters being faces, and I really liked it, because obviously Typhoon had just changed from Tugboat, hadn't he? And, uh, yeah, I, and they just, they, they just, I know why Jimmy Hart was a manager, because Natural Disasters dropped Jimmy Hart, didn't they? Jimmy Hart kept on screwing the Natural Disasters, and they went with Money, Inc. It was, you know, I, I originally remember the Natural Disasters being the faces, and then obviously they lost on Countout, didn't they? And it was a shame, they didn't win the belts, but, yeah, I remember the Natural Disasters were good. I liked them. They were whinging about them, but... <laughs> and uh, the shortest match on the card was the Rocket Owen Hart uh, versus Skinner. Um, Andy, what about uh, this match? Um, you probably talk longer than the match actually ran for, um, I would imagine. Yeah, I've got a habit of talking for England, so I apologise for that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Owen Hart, why? Why put someone as talented as Owen Hart in a 1 minute 11 filler? I, I, I never got that. Owen Hart, the Rocket. You know, he was forming the tag team, of course, with Coco Beware High Energy. That that broke up just before. He then went into uh, the new foundation with Jim Neidhart. That broke up. Um, this guy was a legend. And future band Hall of Famer, I'm sure. Skinner, yeah. Less said about Skinner, the better. Why? Lawrence, Lawrence. Uh, they might not have had anything, any ideas for Owen Hart back then. I, I don't know, because obviously he'd just been Coco Beware in the new foundation. It was just to get him on the card and put them over in a quick match. Was a Skinner like a poor man's Crocodile Dundee, wasn't he? Yeah, it was yeah. a po- poor man's uh, Steve Irwin, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Funny match. 1 minute 11. That's mad. What's the point in putting it even on the card? Exactly. Alan? Why do you put such a guy like Owen Hart in this sort of a match and give him basically what has become known as in recent years the Chavo Guerrero treatment <laughs> and just completely annihilate the poor bloke and you know only give him a minute out there and let alone anything else um, it's again one of those less said the better moments it might have been because they were at the time pushing Brett weren't they and then they can't have mm. Owen and Brett doing a lot and it's two brothers and they might think of them as a team or something you know what I mean they might have, that was just before Brett had the big push wasn't it and that year he won the belt didn't he off of Ric Flair was it that year yeah yeah, they could have. Yeah. Him, yeah, it was that year, but they could have made him a big tag team guy, you know, similar to to Brett, and and not buried him on a card like that because he didn't really do anything until um, I think it was what 1995, and uh, I, oh, it was it's a shame though because he was he was awesome. I think WrestleMania 94 wasn't WrestleMania 10, wasn't it? Against Brett at WrestleMania 10. Was that whenever he said, "I'm going to kick your leg out of your leg"? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, uh, so the last match of the evening, um, one of my all-time favourites, and I know uh, Lawrence um, likes this man a lot, um, Hulk Hogan versus Sid Justice, and what was billed as, as you know, so many wrestlers have, the first of many retirement matches um, versus Sid Justice. So... For me, I just remember seeing the build-up to this, um, seeing him sitting down with Vince, all like clean-shaven, almost, you know, with just his little tash there. Vince actually turned around to go, and, you know, I'd like to thank you, all the Hulkamaniacs, thank you, and put his hand out to shake, uh, something that you wouldn't really see the two of them doing nowadays. 
but for me, the moment of the match was, before the match even started, whenever Sid Justice turned around to Mean Jane and said, No, shut up, you bald-headed, you fat bald-headed little oaf. <laughs> um, he said this man couldn't talk, was... <laughs> was right uh, but um, I'll pass it over to Lawrence since he's uh, another Hogan mark I remember back then though I was sad because it was but you know you don't realise do you when I was nine at the time and I, I, I remember them saying it's Hulk Hogan's last match and I thought it was and I think I remember I was sad you know I'm thinking back then how I thought then and I didn't want to watch it <laughs> but because it was his last match I would have been sad but uh, I remember now though I mean you think of the ending how weird was that Papa Shungo come down and no, yeah, that's a strange ending, wasn't it? Papa Shunga come down, ties up Hogan in the ropes, and Warrior saved him with his short haircut and looking really small compared to what he had previously looked like. Yeah, I remember also as well whenever I think it was on, it was one of the like uh, almost like live wire or whatever the programs were. Whenever JR at the time was actually saying where um, the Ultimate Warrior had been and all these ridiculous stories about you know. <laughs> Um, how uh, just some of them were just stupid, but no doubt Andy would probably remember some of these because I can't. Um, oh, I can't remember them offhand, but <laughs> Hulk Hogan, man, um, yeah, why? Sorry, I'm not a Hogan fan anymore. Really not a Hogan. Yeah, fan. but back then, if you think of it, was supposed to be his last match, and it was a very sad moment oh, for me. I remember. Yeah, he was bigger than big, you know. Um. What really got me about this one was the fact he dedicated it to Brutus the Barber Beefcake, um, <laughs> who was backstage, who apparently hadn't been seen on TV, but of course did the barber shop after the parasailing accident, and the Ultimate Warrior came out. Mentions it on the commentary when uh, when Hogan's getting tied up in the ropes. Uh, Bobby Heenan says, "Oh, Brutus isn't going to come down, and Big Brutus won't help him, so no one's going to help him." And then it was the Warrior. It's just pushed push the Warrior, wasn't it? I think, because Hogan was leaving. Cause it, Hogan was leaving because of the steroid uh, thing, wasn't it? Yeah, he was um, indicted by Sephoria uh, in the whole McMahon steroid trial of 1992, the first one that kicked off. Um, and it went a couple of years, and then Hogan actually testified against Vince in, in the trial. And uh, no one ever thought they would see Hogan back again. Of course, he, he appeared one year later. He also went off to film, I think it was Mr. Nanny, um, oh. Brilliant. <laughs> Alan, what about you? Well, I'm along with Andy in this one. I'm not a Hulk Hogan man. I'm sorry, Chris, but like, like Don't I said earlier, I apologise to our guest. <laughs> like what? I said, I was, <laughs> I was a hyper man when it comes to the whole Hulk Hogan thing. But it's again. Sid Justice of all people getting the last match on the card alongside Hulk Hogan uh, and Hogan's last match I'm kind of glad Hogan didn't retire terrible way to retire wouldn't it yeah but it's like we've been saying with the whole steroid thing it's again it points to the thank god it wasn't his last match because I remember reading it was I'm trying to remember it was like sex drugs and headlocks or something was the book and I think it was Piper mentioned that uh, Hogan's backside was as thick as a hog's hide from the amount of, stero <laughs> from the amount of steroids he'd taken. Um, just, just another wee Roddy Piper thing there. But it's, again, Hogan, you can't say much more than that. He was a big name. Not personally mine, but what can you do? <laughs> 
it is fair to say though, and I've got to go with Lawrence on this one. If it hadn't been for Hogan in the nineties, wrestling wouldn't have been what it is today. So yeah, you had Hogan has got um, a lot for us to, to thank him for, um, and like you said, not a nice way for him to bow out to go up against Sid Vicious of all people, but. At least he came back for one more payday at, at WrestleMania 9 uh, the following year in a tag match. And, of course, he won the belt, as, uh, as, we, as we talked about on, on MOS. So it's, you know, it's, it's not a nice way for him to go, but Hogan was and is an icon. He always will be. Not as good as Bret Hart, mind you, but um, he would always be a legend. Covered the matches. I think we'll go on to a few wee different topics now. First one being um, favourite entrance music from the list of stars that were on the pay-per-view. How about you, Andy, first? Uh, it's, uh, you know what? I love the classic Bret Hart music. Uh, the the Hart Foundation theme that he came out with was... It took me back to when he was a tag team specialist, which was always good, but um, I, I've got an admission to make, and I hate saying this. I love Shawn Michaels' theme with Sherry yeah, singing. Yeah. There was something about that. I don't know what it was, but I loved hearing Sherry's voice. She was quite a good singer in her day. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> what, about, what about you, Lawrence? Uh, well, Hogan, but I'd also go for Ted DiBiase, Money Inks, that's great music coming down. Uh, Mr. Perfect's music probably wasn't played, because he probably would have come down with flair. But, yeah, I like Jim Duggan's as well, great intro, the big, oh, I don't know if his music was played that night, I can't remember. And Randy Savage's as well, epic. You can't beat that song, was it Land of Hope and Glory, isn't it? What about you, Chris? Uh, it would be... Obviously Hulk Hogan's, but followed closely by Jake Roberts' theme. I don't know what it is about that music, but I just, I just love that. It's, it's very, very eerie, but uh, it just summed up his character very well. Um, but I would have to plumb for Hogan's. Hogan's is music that um, would be one that one. Obviously, I liked him as a wrestler, but I liked his theme music as well. Uh, not particularly that fond of his TNA one at the minute, mm. I have to say. Um, but they would be the ones that I would I would plump for. I also not, quite not like the Big Boss Man music. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Don't get don't get yes. started on the Boss Man. <laughs> yeah, don't don't, don't uh, especially with WrestleMania the album and him singing along on that there and uh, his Titan Tron whenever he returned of just him fixing his tie and hitting Austin with the chair that was just awful. For me, um, no su- no surprise for Hogan for Chris and Lawrence, but no surprise for me when it comes to Ted Ted DiBiase for me closely followed by uh, Jake Roberts because there's again just something about his theme that uh, Hickshian suits his character down to the ground. We'll now go on to uh, how would you compare this WrestleMania to a modern WrestleMania like um, the one we just had last year? How does it hold up in comparison? Um, Chris? Um, as I say, it, um, it's, it's, very, it's very different because you have more storytelling here. Um, I can't really say that out of a lot of WrestleManias that I've watched there's been a heck of a brilliant storyline, you know, like say Lawrence said earlier, you know, with the Jake Roberts Undertaker or with the um, Ric Flair, Macho Man, Randy Savage. Near enough, all these matches or the, the big matches will have a very, very good storytelling thing. You don't get as much promos, uh, backstage promos, which is something that I, I really like um, and always have done. Um, I just seem to prefer more of the old school wrestling than the newer stuff. 
but that that's just my opinion. Other, you know, like some some of the guys may may say differently, but that's that's just my my, my thoughts, my two cents, so to speak. Lawrence? One thing you do notice from it, one thing you do notice from it is that it's just all straight tag matches and singles matches. There's no gimmick matches in this whole card, and that's mm. what it was like back then, wasn't it? I mean, I think you, I mean, that must have been about a year later you started getting it, wasn't it? That, that SummerSlam wasn't it? a casket match from the Undertaker, wasn't it? Went against I can't remember Kamala, was it at, at the SummerSlam? And that was a casket match. But I mean, you never get gimmick yeah. matches back then so much. I mean, there was the cage matches, but that was about it, wasn't it? But it meant that's. I think the story, like the storytelling that we, I think the main thing we're saying is the storytelling back then was so much better than now. And also the way you got to think about it, and I say it on MOS, is that the WWF WWE Championship really meant something back then. Nowadays it doesn't. With with people like Sheamus being champion, it just doesn't mean anything. I don't think compared to what it did back then. It's just putting it on, onto someone to try and give them a push. But and also on the same same hand. That you didn't need people to have the belts like Jake Roberts and Undertaker. Great story. Didn't even need a championship um, a belt involved in the match at all. Yeah, I, I think I've got to go with what every, everybody has said. You know, so far it was WrestleMania Eight had an old school feel. It was in a big stadium. It was the last WrestleMania uh, up until X Seven to be in a massive, uh, massive stadium, and it had that big game feel to it. It made it feel that it was bigger than what it was. And you know, WrestleMania has always been the showcase of the Immortals and you know, going back to what to what Lawrence was saying about uh, the storytelling and, and not needing the titles, completely agree. You know, if um, a wrestling in now is is all gimmicks, it's all elimination chambers or um, gauntlet tag team matches or hardcore battle royals. You don't need those gimmicks to get two workers over in a match. And the good thing about WrestleMania eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one, they were all <laughs> literally. Um, <laughs> straight on like Lauren said one on one or tag team matches the occasional six man you had the occasional blooper match like the Rockers versus uh, the boss man and Arkeem the African Dream at, at Mania 5 but they each told a story and you know the big thing about it each one of those fans was vocal I don't think on the video packages that you saw there was one fan who didn't chant, was stood out of their seat was clapping had a sign had merchandise now you look at a WrestleMania card or a fan or you know crowd or TNA crowd, and they're silent until John Cena comes out. Then they boo. But you know they, there's not that atmosphere from the fans. There's not that passion from the fans watching it live as what there was back in the old school days. And that really brings the viewer watching it home in TV land, as they used to say, um, into the event and into the pay per view, and you get sucked into it, and that is what the whole point of this is. It's a male soap opera, and you want to get sucked into it, and you want to find out what's going to happen next. And my voice is going. And in the in the old school days, that that's what happened, and uh, you miss that now when you compare it to what we had at twenty five, where the only match you really cared about was Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels, which, funnily enough, only two workers who are still going in the WWE on that pay per view. Yeah, it's the atmosphere and the build-up and the story for me and Chris we watched it um, 25 live last year and unlike where it would have been in the past you'd have been glued your seat you'd have been very into it again as we've been saying with the Undertaker Michaels match from 25 that was the only match you were interested in and there was times I would look around and Chris you'd be yawning yeah it's just a case of it's just a case of now 
I mean, obviously we've finished the Royal Rumble and then we're heading to the Elimination Chamber. But at least then, back in the day, you had so much time to prep and get matches ready and tease people, you know, with this guy's going to be fighting this. You know, fair enough, we've, we've got the seeds planted for the Undertaker Shawn Michaels match, which would be another great match. But WrestleMania, I, I can wholeheartedly say I can't remember the last WWE pay per view that I watched and I went at the end, wow. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, but, it's, just, it's just storytelling to the max. You get the WWE WF Championship match back there. It's a championship match at WrestleMania, which means a hell of a lot. We also get the amazing storytelling for the three, four months leading up to it, which you don't get now. And what we're going to get of Elimination Chamber next week. Is it next week? And Sheamus might win it or Triple H. And it's just, I mean, like we're saying, the only match we're going to have a good story leading up to it is the Sean Undertaker match. And we won't know what's going to happen until we watch it. And it's going to be exciting. And yeah, that's, that's, yeah. What, that's what this WrestleMania had. And with nearly all the matches, there's a few pooey matches but the rest the rest of them are great even the short, the start one Shawn Michaels El Matador great match the thing about that though it goes back yeah. to having one clear face and one clear heel so the fans chanted for the good guy they booed the bad guy now it's that line is so blurred that nobody really knows who the face is and who the bad guy is and that's the difference because you want to try and get behind someone and you want to try and rally that person up when they're being beaten down by the you know the the really bad evil person in the ring and since the days of austin and, and the austin era you don't get that anymore and, and that i think is what's missing as well is the fans sometimes get confused they, they've got very complacent and they don't know who to vote for and who to cheer for and that loses the atmosphere where back in the old days you took it seriously and kayfabe had hadn't been broken at that point it was still very much a close guarded secret about the inner workings of the business hadn't been made public and you actually believe what was happening was real and also bear in mind we were still you know kids coming into teenagers at that sort of time um i've been watching it since 87 uh so i'd literally grown up watching the wwe at that point and you, you were so passionate about it and so much behind your workers that it's such a shame you don't get that now I think it's a change think, in the times, man. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a, bit, a bit of an intense thing to say, but, you know, the change in the times of the way the world is, you know. People don't want to go root for good guys anymore. You know, they just don't, you know, bad guys, the bad guys are good. You know, the NWO was the cause of that. Well, you know, I'm just generally talking in life. It sounds a bit intense, but you know what I mean? It's it's just what it's about. You know, you can't have good, a clear line of good versus bad these days. It's just, I don't think it'll work, and it's a shame. You know, very everyone gets very jaded, don't they? Someone like Seamus, who's supposed to be super heel, um, you know, we watch it and, you know, you just look at him and think, he's not as good as anyone else and or, or has been in the past. He's supposed to be the champion. And I think people get jaded by it. And But, I mean, this 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 card was brilliant and a great great event. And I might even go and watch it myself. And <laughs> now we've been talking about it. I'm just doing it from memory at the moment. It's great. I, don't, I don't think we could have summed that, uh, what, you know, we think of this pay-per-view and basically the business at the minute any better with the whole idea of, you know, you want, you would just want things to be, as the saying goes, simpler can be better, and yeah. uh, it's it's just, it's the way things should go, you know, obviously with us being older fans, we still like the idea of, oh, you know, wheelchair for the bad guy, and all that sort of, but the idea of having a good guy, having a bad guy, for live events, is where that becomes fun for us older fans, it keeps us interested, but exactly. it's 
we've summed it up as best we can, but uh, I think that'll do for our WrestleMania 8 roundup. And I just want to say thanks to uh, Lawrence and Andy for joining us. Gentlemen, if you would like to do any of your plugs, the floor is yours. Hey, thank you very much. Um, of course, you know, these guys uh, are massive supporters and, and uh, all of us at Ministry of Slam owe a great deal of gratitude to, uh, to Chris and uh, Alan, the Northern Ireland Connection, as we affectionately call them. Ministryofslam.com, the UK's number one uh, premier wrestling radio show, every Sunday night, live from uh, 7 to 10. Of course, Lawrence uh, joins me, uh, Lee Tyers, and Simon Miller and Martin Mathers um, of FS7 fame. We're a great little team. Hope you come and join the show. Three hours every week, interviews and discussions. So, uh, yeah, and we take your calls as well. So, so come and join us. I, I'm just going to say thanks to Alan and Chris as well. And um, also, please, everyone, tune into the Ministry of Slam. And also, check out VoodooVegas.com for all your rocking needs. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and any, if anyone, I think Chris and Alan are going to play So Unkind. Is, the, is, that, is that a song you guys are playing? Yes, that's right. Uh, since it's the main stable for the intro for uh, Ministry of Slam, we thought it was only right that we play it as the outro for our song. We have the awesome Matt Howlett who does our intro, but it's nice to have another awesome guy as yourself, Lawrence. Uh, we were uh, going to ask Andy to sing, but since his voice is going a wee bit, we thought it would be better not to. Uh, <laughs> with the WrestleMania 8 roundup, um, uh, obviously, if you are looking to purchase it, um, you can do in the UK. You can go to uh, a fine sponsor of the Ministry of Slam, uh, Silver Vision. Uh, you can actually get it there for 14.99. The code for that is WTC016. That's WrestleMania 7 and 8. So we touched a little bit on 7. I did probably more than most. But um, as Alan said, you know, we really want to thank you too for coming on. We enjoy tuning in the Ministry of Slam. Um, every week and uh, just wanted to thank you for coming on and I'll pass it over to Alan to uh, round up the show so to speak Yep, absolutely I'd just like to echo Chris's response there and say thanks again guys for supporting us so much and uh, as you all realise this uh, show has been a wee bit different than we had initially advertised for this month Um, obviously because we had the impromptu joining of two good friends things have run a lot longer on certain topics so we're now going to put back our video game review of Donkey Kong Country and uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to next month's show but I must admit I think uh, everybody will have enjoyed this one quite a lot but uh, again like Chris said go over to Silver Vision to pick up your classic wrestling DVDs and your modern ones if you fancy that go to VoodooVegas.com they're going to be the next big thing in UK music and of course go to ministryofslam.com but I think that's it pretty much for this month Chris don't you think? I think so I'm all near enough all talked out so um, but uh, it's been enjoyable to have Lawrence uh, talking about Ghostbusters and Wrestlemania and have uh, our good friend Andy who was the main uh, kind of the main supporter um, of us whenever we initially decided to do this show so um, uh, yeah uh, uh, we <laughs> blah, 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 if I could actually <laughs> talk um, we'll be covering what Alan said there and uh, we'll not divulge what we're going to cover yet, we'll leave that as a bit of a surprise just in case it goes a little bit longer like uh, this month's has but I uh, hope you've all enjoyed us don't forget to go to the Pop Culture Network website um, www.popculturenetwork.com the main home of uh, Operation Retroshock uh, I just want to say that I've been Chris Vint I'm Alan Price 
So thanks for joining us and hope you all tune in next month. Click on the iTunes subscribe button and uh, that's all you need to do. So thanks for listening. Bye. You're always in my head now. You made me lose my mind. And I've got you in my bed now. Why are you so unkind? You may-